Mr. Chair, if you're ready to call the meeting to order. Okay, I have 11 o'clock. We're going to call the meeting to order. Um, let's have the, the uh, red comment and then we'll take roll if that's okay with you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I'm going to provide a few procedural reminders for the virtual meeting. This meeting is being broadcast and recorded on the City of Lawrence YouTube channel. The public chat function is disabled. All chats will go directly to city staff. When you're not participating in the meeting, please mute your microphone by clicking on the microphone icon found at the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu. A red line through the microphone means you're muted. Please remember to unmute when you participate in the meeting. For those of you joining by phone, you can click star six to unmute your phone. When you're participating in the meeting, please keep your video on. When you're not participating in the meeting, you can turn your video off. The video icon is located by the camera icon on the lower left hand side of the Zoom screen. You'll still be able to hear the meeting while your video is off. You can turn your video back on when you are participating. Turning your video off when you're not participating allows the active meeting participants to be seen on the screen. If you have any trouble, please send us a chat. The city reserves the right to mute microphones and or turn off people's video in order to minimize distractions. Please remember to state your name every time you speak for the benefit of those listening remotely. Anyone attending in person is asked to please keep their mask on unless they are speaking. For those using Zoom, somewhere on your screen, you'll see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker. Gallery view tiles all the meeting participants. All motions will need to be stated clearly. After a motion is made and seconded, the chair will call on board members individually to provide their vote. Mr. Chair, you will then need to announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. When public comment is sought on an item, individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise your hand feature. Windows and Mac users can access this feature through the participants button at the bottom of their screen. Android and iPhone users can access this feature through the more button located at the bottom right corner of their screen. For those calling by phone, you may dial star nine. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. When you're called on, please unmute your listening device and state your name before speaking. The chair will then call for in-person public comment for those without access to technology options. Staff present will direct you to the podium to speak following social distancing and safety protocols. The regular three-minute time limit will apply. Thank you. All right, Monty Sokup Chair, thank you, Leah. Appreciate that. Um, I'm going to take roll, and if we have any votes, I will call your names in the same order throughout the meeting so you can be prepared. Uh, so here we go with roll. Thomas Howe? Here. Shannon Reed? Here. Sarah Waters? Here. Christina Gentry? Hi, here. Thomas Allen? Here. Ron Gacious? Present. Edith Guppy? Here. Rebecca Buford? Here. Erica Zimmerman? Here. Dana Ortiz? Shannon Ori? I have uh, Monty Sokup here. And Paul Newsom is not going to be here. Uh, if you were not aware of this, Paul is no longer with uh, the Home Builders Association that he was representing. So he has uh, 
given up his seat and the city is in the process of identifying a replacement for him. So we'll be without Paul, but we want to thank him for his uh, service to this committee and, uh, and all that. So with that, uh, we have a quorum. So we will continue on to public comments. Are there any, uh, anybody in the chat? Leah? This is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. There's nobody present at City Hall or in uh, in chat. Okay. Uh, are there any comments in pub for in open uh, forum for members of the board that would like to make a comment at this point? Seeing none, I will close the public comment and we'll move on to approving the minutes. Uh, so I we have the minutes from the October 11th, 2021 meeting. Uh, I would accept a uh, motion to approve those minutes or if there's any comment, certainly. So Thomas, how uh, made a motion to approve the minutes? Do I have a second? Second. Rebecca Buford seconds. Are there any comments? Any discussion? Okay, seeing none, I will call the vote. I'm gonna, again, I'm gonna call you in the same order. Thomas Howe? Yes. Dan Reed? Yes. Sarah Waters? Yes. Christina Gentry? Yes. Thomas Allen? Yes. Ron Gacious? Yes. Edith Guffey? Abstain, I was not present. Uh, Rebecca Buford? Yes. Erica Zimmerman? Yes. And I see Dana Ortiz joined us, which I, uh, if we could go back and add her to the role of those present uh, so Dana, was that a yes? Yes, <laughs> approve. Monte Soka, yes. That is all that's in attendance. One, two, three. Ten approved, one abstain. Motion passes. Two approved minutes. Okay, that takes us to uh, the regular agenda items and we receive the monthly financial report. Chair, I'm sorry. This is Danny Walters. If I could just jump in real quick. Um, Shannon Aury actually joined the meeting. Oh, she did? Oh. Her name. So, yeah, she, she is actually here. Okay, I'm sorry, Shannon. I missed seeing you jump on there. So, uh, do you approve the minutes, Shannon? Yes. Okay, so that would make the minutes approval 11 yes, 1 abstention, and that motion would pass. Thank you for joining us, Shannon. Sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry seeing you pop up there. there. Okay. Now I think we can go on to the regular agenda items and have received the monthly financial report. Thank you, Mr. Chair. This is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. We collected a little over 86,000 in sales tax during the month of October. There were no changes on the expenses and we anticipate meeting budgeted revenue. 
Excellent. Thank you. Are there any questions on the budget report or any comments? Okay. Seeing that, we're going to move on to agenda item two, the trust fund applicant presentations. And at this time, I need to ask any of our board members that are uh, have applications pending that they would, um, I guess, uh, recuse themselves from the meeting at this point. Yeah, Dana, you have a question? I do. Um, Family Promise of Lawrence is mentioned in one of them, in one of the applications, but we are not applying for any money. So I wondered if that was, I need some guidance on whether or not yeah. I need to recuse myself, please. Okay. In my opinion, if you're not an applicant, I would think that you could stay. But is there anybody at the city that has wants to weigh in on that? Uh, this is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. So, Dana, you are Family Promise is listed as a co applicant for the Housing Stabilization Collaborative. Okay. Um, so we read that to mean that you were an applicant, not um, simply a partner. So okay. maybe that could be clarified if you have a different understanding. Well, the HSC is a collaborative and it includes many, many agencies. So it's a little more, it's not so cut and dry, I think. Um, Tenants to homeowners is the fiscal agent just set up that way, but they don't take any funding through that program either. So that's the reason for my question. <laughs> and, I, and I do believe we've talked about this in the past where these presentations were that we'd, we'd lose a lot of, of development expertise and such, especially with tenants to homeowners, the housing authority and Habitat from Humanity not being part of the discussion. Um, I don't recall where that landed, but it, it's a related question before we recuse everyone. Mm -hmm. Mr. This, Chairman, yeah. um, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative on the, on the board. Uh, a question to Leah or to any other uh, city staff member that's more familiar with the nuances of this rule. Since, since we're only discussing the applicant's proposals, they're making uh, submissions to us, is it necessary for those board members that are affiliated with those organizations to actually leave the call? I mean, we may have a question for about one of the projects that that person is best qualified to answer the question. I mean, I, I know they shouldn't be participating in the decision-making, the deliberative process, but we're in the fact-finding stages here. Is it, is it necessary, Leah, for them to, to leave the call? This is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. Um, it, yes, the applicants that serve on the board um, should not participate in the discussion. Um, all of the applicant agencies have representatives available to make presentations and then ask questions. Um, and in that way, we're ensuring an equitable and fair process. Um, 
to the earlier question about family promise. Dana, since um, family promise of Lawrence is explicitly listed as a co-applicant on the application. It's uh, it's only listed as you know the housing stabilization collaborative tenants to homeowners and family promise as the applicants. And so, if you were just mentioned in the narrative as opposed to listed as a co-applicant, then um, that would be a different circumstance. But um, according to the application, family promise is also an applicant. And so it would not be appropriate to participate in the um, the discussion. All right. Thank you for the clarification, Leah. Appreciate it. Mr. Chairman. Go ahead, Ron. I, I, I'd like to go, uh, Ron Gash's chamber representative, I'd like to go on the record as saying, I don't think that this interpretation of the conflict rules benefits us in any significant way. I understand that it's that it ensures uh, more equitable and fair outcomes. I don't think anyone has challenged the equity or fairness of the outcomes from our decision-making. I do think, however, that our decision-making has suffered from at times from not having all of the information as readily at, to, to our fingertips as we would like. And it's because so much of the really good information about the needs and 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 how things are working in the housing uh, arena here in Lawrence are represented by the people that we don't let participate in in the discussion. Totally agree that they need to be uh, recused when we're making decisions. But uh, I, I continue to think that we've put too much of an emphasis on the equity and fairness attributes of this policy. And we've not carefully considered the disadvantages of not having some of the most knowledgeable people in the community participate in our discussion of the projects. Thank you. Chair, Ron, thank you for those comments. I, I think there are multiple people that may maybe align with you. Um, and we can carry on that discussion. We can't have that today, probably, but uh, we could certainly revisit that discussion. So, Leah, I think you were going to comment on that. This is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. Um, that is guidance from city attorney. And um, I would encourage the board to perhaps revisit the discussion after this application round is concluded. Um, we did, you know, have several meetings where we discuss this before we release a NOFO in terms of membership, and perhaps that discussion needs to be revisited. All right. Any other comments before we jump into the presentation? I'm trying to try to keep us on schedule here. I know we got long. Uh, long meeting ahead of us. So. Okay, so given that, we're going to jump if we could have, uh, I think, yeah, everybody's recused themselves as appropriate. Um, so this is Erica. And Erica. This is Erica Zimmerman, Lawrence Habitat. I officially recuse myself. Rebecca Buford with Tenants to Homeowners. I officially recuse myself. Um, though I would like to say one thing just in fact on 
the collaborative because it is confusing that tenants to homeowners just provides the 501c3 fiscal agency. We do not get any fees or any money that goes into an account that is used by the collaborative for its purposes. So I just want to be really clear on that. If I was in your shoes, I would want to understand that completely. Thank you. Family promise of Lawrence Dana Ortiz officially recusing myself. Shannon, are you still out there? All right. Okay, so I didn't, uh, Shannon left, but I didn't, I don't see her. Is she off completely? Can you, somebody at the city confirm that? So this is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. It does look like she has signed off. Okay, I'm going to accept that as recusing herself since she's signed off completely. Okay, so we're going to move into Independence Inc. Uh, just uh, Daniel Brown will be presenting. Um, Daniel, we're are trying. We're going to keep this to uh, 15 minutes. So we're looking. You know, I think you've gotten these instructions, but I'm just kind of reiterating that. We're looking for about a 10 minute presentation, give or take, and then about five minutes for questions. And, you know, that's a little flexible, but obviously when the 15 minutes is up, we're going to move on because we have a lot of people to get through. So I'm going to hold you to that. So it's 11.18 now. So Daniel, you're on. Okay. Um, hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Daniel Brown. I'm the core service manager at Independence Incorporated. Um, I'm here um, today because we are um, seeking funding for our accessible housing program. Um, the goal of the accessible housing program at Independence Inc. Um, is to make it possible for people um, with disabilities um, who are low to moderate income, uh, it's up to the 80% median household income for the area, uh, to make needed accessibility modifications uh, to their homes in order to be able to um, continue living independently um, in the Lawrence community. Um, why is this program necessary? So we feel that the program is necessary because uh, one, it addresses a lack of affordable and accessible housing in the area. Um, in, in our experience um, here at Independence Inc. at least, um, locating housing that's both affordable and accessible can be incredibly difficult for people with disabilities um, and for seniors as well. Um, some of the more affordable housing options um, also tend to be some of the most inaccessible. Um, for instance, trailer homes, um, older houses, um, and larger houses that have been split up into multiple units, um, which also have a tendency to be older homes as well. Um, it is, um, you see a lot of accessibility issues in those homes that you don't see in some of the newer um, newer homes, newer apartments, but newer homes, newer apartments also have a tendency to be less, um, less affordable um, than, than some of the older ones. Um, also this program, allows people with disabilities to continue living um, in their homes with dignity. Um, the ability to age in place benefits the overall quality of life um, for anybody, um, particularly people with disabilities, seniors, um, whether that be financially, um, socially, um, health-wise, et cetera. Um, people that are able to continue living in their homes um, safely um, are more have more of an opportunity to stay connected with their communities and participate um, in their communities and in their neighborhoods. 
Um, when people don't have the ability um, to navigate their home, their home's not accessible to them, they can't get in and out of their home safely. Um, sometimes moving to an assisted living or a nursing facility becomes the only option um, available to them. So um, this program can help keep that from happening. So this program takes uh, affordable housing and it makes it accessible. Um, and this program also helps to keep people in their homes, which is a benefit to the individual, but also a benefit to the overall community as well. Um, this particular program has been funded through housing trust funds um, for the past two years. Over the course of those two years, um, we've used this funding to provide a number of modifications. Um, examples include um, grab bars, um, accessible toilets, um, installing accessible showers like roll-in or walk-in showers, um, installing handheld shower head, handheld shower heads, uh, low-rise steps, um, and of course ramps. Um, in fact, uh, ramps and grab bars are the two most frequently requested modifications um, that we received through the program. Also, ramps and accessible showers um, also have a tendency to be the most expensive type of modification that's requested, um, which is probably not a, a surprise to you all. Um, ramps and accessible shower installations can cost anywhere from six to $9,000. Um, and, and that's particularly for trailer homes because the ramp needs to be so long um, in order to be able to um, get the slope right to get somebody in, in and out of the home safely. Um, over the past two years, the vast majority of households that we have served, um, while we go up to 80% median income, um, the vast majority of households we are serving is actually at 30% or less. Um, so this program has been serving um, very low income individuals who otherwise would not have the ability to make these accessibility modifications. Um, and also trailer homes were the number one type of housing that was modified through the program over the past two years. So um, in, any, in any event, um, so for my closing remarks, um, we feel that the goal of this program is very much in line with the goals of the Affordable Housing Trust Fund um, and that it ensures people with disabilities um, and seniors maintain affordable housing by getting the accessibility modifications they need to continue living independently in the community uh, with dignity. Um, it also increases the housing stock that is both affordable and accessible. Um, accessibility modifications that are made um, are frequently left in place uh, when somebody moves or, or, or passes away um, for future people to benefit from. Um, the staff at Independence Inc. Um, have many years of experience in providing assistance, obtaining um, and exploring accessibility modifications with folks. Uh, we have two years experience doing this exact program, um, but we also have additional experience um, doing access surveys in the home and providing technical assistance um, for building ramps and, and exploring accessibility modification options with folks. Uh, we have many years of experience doing that. So we have the experience and the, the knowledge to continue running this program um, effectively and successfully. Um, we also feel that this program addresses the impact of COVID-19 by keeping people in their homes as opposed to having to move to a nursing or assisted living facility where their odds um, or opportunities for contracting COVID are, are, are significantly higher. Um, and also that we are also committed to doing targeted outreach to ensure that people of color are being served through this program. So. Um, that's really all that I have um, as far as my um, presentation. I appreciate the opportunity and I'm happy to answer any questions anyone has. Thank you, Daniel. That was very nice. Uh, questions, comments from the board? 
Yeah, Ron. Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. Daniel, if you folks were offered $60,000 instead of $50,000, would you be able to ramp up and effectively and productively use those additional resources? Or does $50,000 contribution uh, for this effort um, kind of max out your abilities, your capacity? Yes, um, I, I don't feel that it maxes out our capacity. Um, I, I think if we had additional funding, we could certainly use it. Um, the need usually exceeds the level of funding that we have. Um, so I, I don't see an issue using additional funding at all. Um, also, some of these modifications, as I said earlier, are pretty expensive. So like a ramp or an accessible shower, it eats through the money pretty quickly. So sometimes we hit a point where we're having to make judgment calls as to if we're low on funding, we have multiple requests at the same time, um, who's going to get funded, who's not. Um, okay. Thank you. Are there other questions? This is Sarah Waters at the University of Kansas Rep. Um, a similar question, really, but maybe a little bit different way to come at it. Do you all have a wait list right now of folks that are requesting service that you haven't been able to serve? And so I guess that's kind of in that same line of Ron's question. Um, we don't currently have a wait list. We still have some funding um, right now from the funds that we had last year. It's enough probably to do one large project or several smaller projects. So it just kind of depends on what application comes in. Um, what we run into probably more often is that people that probably just barely exceed that 80% of median income that are needing those modifications is what we run into the most. Um, so they just don't qualify for the program based on their income. Um, so for those, if we serve those people, then we would go through the money even quicker. Um, but right now we don't have a, a, a wait list, but we just have enough funding to do probably one large project for the year. Okay, uh, this is Monty Sokup. I have a question and it isn't, well, I'm wondering if, you know, if we have somebody, you do one of these modifications to a house and somebody ultimately moves out, they get to the point that they move out. Do you guys follow up and try to actually place people, accessible renter, people with accessibility needs in those homes? Or do you work with the landlords at all? Is there anything to follow up and like, make sure that some other person with a need finds this particular affordable, accessible unit? We don't do follow-up per se. Um, and, and frequently when we're doing these accessibility modifications, because they're so needed, the person really doesn't move unless they absolutely have to. So a lot of times people are staying there for a very lengthy period of time. Um, so it's really hard to track that when they're there for so long. Um, now we do get landlords sometimes that will contact us because they're aware that we helped with the modification. And we'll say, hey, this tenant's moving out. We have a unit that has a ramp. We have a unit with a roll-in shower. Do you have anybody that you're working with right now that could use those modifications? If so, please send them our way. So what I'm hearing, there's a kind of an informal network. Yeah. That's good. That's good. That's good. I just was curious. Okay. Sure. Any other questions? All right. Seeing none, I want to thank you, Daniel, for your presentation. It was very, very good. And uh, we're going to move on to the next uh, presentation.
And that is uh, tenants to homeowners, uh, Nicholas Ward. <clears throat> this is the Michigan Six. Uh, greetings. This is uh, Nicholas Ward here with Tenants to Homeowners. I'm the Program Innovation and Community Collaboration Manager. Um, today I'm presenting to this body on behalf of Tenants to Homeowners for the proposed Michigan 6 project, as you heard. Um, in short, Michigan 6 is an infill development on what is currently two lots with a total lot size of just over 34,000 square feet. It's located in the Pinckney neighborhood, the project site is just one block from LMH, less than one block from the nearest bus stop, four blocks from two local grocers and the new community health center, walking distance from Pinckney Elementary, and roughly one mile from access to I-70. The project holds an ideal infill location a little west of most of the TTH opportunities that currently exist. Um, the aptly named Michigan 6 is an infill development project that will provide six units of permanently affordable housing, including four ownership and two rental units. Four of these will be home ownership units with one bedroom or with one two bedroom and three three bedrooms. Two of these will be permanently affordable rentals, each with two bedrooms. The two bedroom units will be fully accessible. The three bedroom units will be fully visitable and only not fully accessible due to the second story of those units. It is also mentioned in the application, and I just wanted to clarify this because it could be um, misconstrued, that the, the rental units will in effect generate a program funded voucher. And what we mean by this is not that tenants will receive a HUD voucher, but that based on the subsidy included within these two units, TTH will be able to steward the homes in perpetuity with rent set at 30% of the tenant household monthly income. So this is regardless of what that income is. If someone's bringing in $1,000 a month, if someone's bringing in $2,500 a month as the household income, it's set at one third. So in effect, a program funded voucher. We're requesting 400,000 from the housing trust fund. Um, we're also going to be bringing in 100,000 in federal home funds and putting in 35,000 of TTH rotating project funds. And this makes up the 535,000 of total subsidy for permanent affordability of the six new construction units that we'll be developing. Uh, the total project cost is 1.2 million. The 400,000 requested from the housing trust fund is slightly less than one third of the total project request. Um, and as I said, it generates 535,000 of initial subsidy. And I say initial subsidy because with the housing trust fund, um, or sorry, with the community land trust, that subsidy grows over time. Um, and so from with tenants to homeowners, when we first started the trust fund in 2005, uh, or sorry, the land trust, um, we've, we've almost doubled um, what that subsidy is in the properties that we hold and trust. Um, with tenants to homeowners, um, we've we've gone through and looked at this as a great infill opportunity. Um, there, the two lots. There's currently, as you can see in some of the drawings, uh, the renderings that we put forth. There's an opacity of an existing house there. Um, when we initially looked at this property, it was for an ARM project, which is our affordable rental management, where we would acquire uh, the home, do all the necessary repairs, 
and rent that out affordably. And as we went through and looked at the site and the available space in the land, we understood that with the affordable housing density bonus that was put through in 2019, that we would actually be able to develop six units on this property if we were to go through and raise that existing house, which has significant um, need for repairs. And so with the drawings that um, the board can see before themselves, um, that's what we're proposing to do with this project. So six new units of permanent affordability for an ownership to and rental. Um, so I'll kind of leave it there. And if there are any questions, um, please let me know. Thank you, Nicholas. Uh, at this time, I'm open it up to the board for questions. Small thing, so good, Chair. Any questions? Hi, this is Christina Gentry, uh, person, board member who has received or is receiving housing assistance. Hi, Nicholas. Thank you for that um, presentation. I see there here that you are requesting or in the application. There's a 0% that is going to be used for admin fees. Administration fees would uh, imagine go to pay um, employees or anyone working on this project. Um, but is 0% um, being asked or uh, requested or being used for this uh, great project? How <clears throat> How is everything going to get paid or how, how do you distribute uh, the funding to the people who are responsible for the work? Um, maybe that's a, a clarifying question of if there's no admin fees, which I think is great um, that people are working. I, I'm assuming they're not working as volunteers, but maybe so. So maybe a little bit of clarifying questions or a clarifying question about um, how the zero percent admin fees is going to reflect uh, your project and how how that's how that work is being um, compensated. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Christina. I think with some of these projects, it's. Um, the the all of the funding is there it's written in but the way that it gets categorized is kind of the caveat and so with this we don't necessarily have an administrative fee um, but because we have as one of our um, eight staff members we have an on-staff general contractor so that's a, a salaried individual through tenants to homeowners so we're not paying out to um, kind of a secondary or a we're not contracting to a general contractor. We have that person on staff already written into our annual budget. And so that really, that's a, in a lot of ways, that's a big part of how we're able to do this so affordably. Um, we're not paying kind of absorbent fees. And then on top of that, usually there's a percentage, I think a minimum 10% that would go um, for a developer once they've, they get paid hourly. And then on top of that, they get paid a development fee once the property sells, it's a certain percentage. And so we're able to get rid of all that. So we're incurring those fees. That's what's listed in there as the actual cost of building the home. That includes um, paying that general contractor and subcontractors in that work. That's that's the cost that we're writing in. So for the, the 210,000 for the three bedroom units and the, the 150 or 160 for the two bedroom units, that's all written into that cost. And so as a line item, we're just, I guess we've chosen not to move that over as an administrative fee because the administration that's happening is the actual construction of the houses for that. So this is here, oh, yeah, I, ha I have a couple questions. 
This is Sarah Waters with the University of Kansas. Nicholas, this might be in your proposal. I haven't read every word in it, um, but could you explain like how, like what's the feasibility here? Like, are you shovel ready or permits, all those kinds of pieces. If you were awarded this money, like when would there actually be work on the site is my first question. Sure, absolutely. So um, that was a hard one. So we we put down shovel ready, but what has to happen um, kind of next steps are that we would take this to planning and we would get a replat of the land. So we would move it from being these two humongous lots and break it down into three 11,000, roughly 11,000 square foot lots. I don't see any obstacles there. We've already looked at um, where utilities go, where sewer goes and everything else. So it looks like that's um, not going to be a problem. And then um, a part of this funding is the acquisition of that property. And so we've already made um, a deal with the, the person who owns it now, who's been very generous and is uh, invested in our mission of developing a permanently affordable housing. And so the total acquisition cost of those two lots plus the house on it is $150,000. Um, and so that's that's where we're at with that. So what we would look at is that if, if awarded these funds in the very beginning of the new year, we would make an acquisition of the house and start immediately on the replat um, as that process goes and then be able to kind of start grading any tree removal or anything like that that has to do with land development would start uh, in the spring, early summer. I appreciate that and just enlightening mm -hmm. that for me. Um, and then one other question, um, maybe it's here, but I, if you could ver verbalize it, what type of construction contingency do you have built into this budget, knowing that you know cost of materials and labor and everything has gone up? And so do you have an escalation already? Like where are you at in your budgeting? Yeah, so that so our costs have or are kind of pre-escalated, anticipating um where I guess where things are at right now, or where things were at a couple months ago, which was an extremely escalated space from where they were two years prior to that. And so our um amounts, which has been really hard for us to do actually, we've jumped to where a three-bedroom. Uh, would now be 150,000 through tenants to homeowners, where previously um, we were able to offer something like that at 135 or 140. So even though that's deeply affordable still for a brand new energy efficient, all electric um, three bedroom house with garage, um, we've had to kind of toil internally with jumping those prices up on our end. Um, so we've made those adjustments already. And then we wrote into, um, we wrote into this proposal that we would be able to adjust essentially what tenants to homeowners is putting in this from rotating project funds. So right now we have 35,000 going into the development uh, from TTH. And if we needed to adjust that in some way, we would uh, pull from rotating project funds. Thank you, I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Are there any other questions for Nicholas? All right. Thank you very much, Nicholas. It's a wonderful presentation. Nice project you're putting together there. So it's a lot of the right marks in my opinion. So, uh, okay. Um, we are going to move on to the next project then. It's a Habitat for Humanity project. 
And I believe Stacy Schroeder is uh, going to make the presentation. Hello, Stacy. Good to see you. Um, I'm assuming you got the thing. You got 10 minutes and then about five minutes for questions. So uh, I'm going to turn it over to you. It's 1140. Thank you. Um, so thank you again. My name is Stacy, and I am our uh, development manager here at Lawrence Habitat. Uh, we requested funding for uh, five or more critical repair projects for homeowners here in our community. Um, that would be critical repair replacing major systems. Um, and we would work with agencies here in town to identify those most in need of those services. Um, the, the need for this project is we understand, especially now after being in this global pandemic, that um, many households are just one life-altering event away from financial instability. And when um, many of our homeowners are paying over half of their uh, mortgage, over half of their income is for their mortgage payment, when faced with a system repair, it's just a, a, too much of a daunting task or too overwhelming and seems out of reach. Um, so by offering to um, help with those services, we can encourage homeowners to continue to stay in their affordable housing and help them um, achieve that. This also offers those homeowners that th we understand this is the um, this is one of the many ways that individuals can build wealth and something to pass on to future generations. And so by helping replace these systems and, and getting their houses functional and safe, um, that is just setting their trajectory for the future in, the, in a positive way. Um, we are asking through this fund for $50,000, and that would be to complete at least five critical system repairs. We know that there's probably the opportunity to, to do more than five with this funding, but not knowing what these um, projects may include, whether that may be a roof or a water heater, an HVAC system, whatever that might look like, those, those costs are going to change depending on the project and the need. So knowing that we um, feel comfortable serving at least five with this funding, but potentially more. Uh, the main cost of this program will be for that contracted work and then the materials needed to do that. And we will partner with local uh, contractors to complete these services. Um, we will work with homeowners. They are required to pay a portion of the cost of these services, but that is determined by their income and a sliding scale um, so that these payments and these, uh, these you know, system changes can be done at an affordable level. Payments will go to future repairs. So much like our home building process where homeowners pay a mortgage and that money has been pushed back into the community for a future house, we'll do the same with our repairs. So those payments will go towards repairs on someone else's home. There is a deed restriction for a five-year deed restriction for those repairs so that we can make sure that that person stays in that home um, and it stays affordable. So as far as outcomes, we want to make an impact for these five or maybe more families. Um, taking that one expense that they're stressing over, especially now when times are, are tough for families, um, paying those mortgages and, and, and faced with something like this, taking that stress away from them, keeping these houses that are currently affordable, safe and functional, um, and knowing that we can we can make a difference with the houses that we have right here right now that need um, our repair. And that's what I've got for today. 
All right, thank you, Stacy. Uh, questions amongst the board? Yeah. I, have, I have a question, uh, Edith Guppy. Um, Stacy, how do people find out about this program? Thanks for asking. So we are, we work with many um, community agencies. We've um, worked with like the Senior Resource Center. Um, we, the city, if the city has um, someone that they can refer to, we want to definitely get people up to code on their housing. Um, we have a current waiting list of, of people that would, will need this service. Um, so it's just working with our community partners um, to identify who has the most need. Um, and then, you know, just building from that list from there. Thank you, Stacey. This is Monty Soka. Um, if, again, I'm gonna ask, uh, I think it was Ron's question. If more funds were available or would you have capacity to, you know, do more if the funds are available? Absolutely. So we we weren't want to work as that agent connecting the homeowners in need with contracted services and doing that at a at a rate that they can afford. And so we act as just that catalyst between the two. So absolutely, if more funds are available, we know that we can match them with more projects. Yes, yeah, Shannon. Shannon Reed, uh, Douglas County Commissioner. Stacy, thanks for that. Um, I wanted to, and Edith, thank you for that question. I had the same one and wanted to clarify a bit further. Our, um, does the program require a referral through a, one of those social service agencies? Is it, or can folks self-refer um, and, and determine with your staff if they qualify for the program? Absolutely. So someone could self-apply, um, they could call our office, and we will, our um, person on staff would then do an assessment and walk through that application process with them to determine if it is a good fit for them to be a part of our program. So yes, absolutely, we will take self-referrals or any from our community partners. One more question. Um, so this is a homeowners program, correct? Correct. Specifically, is it um, homeowners who are residing in the home or are there any examples of property owners that are renting those homes? At this time, we are working specifically with homeowners that reside in the home. Um, that's, that's where our emphasis has been to this point. Great. Thank you. Monty Sokup Chair, I have one other question. Do you, just out of curiosity, the contractors that you work with and you're providing obviously referrals to bringing them business, did they work with you on their rates? Did you get any special, uh, you know, rates or anything like that for referring all that work that they're giving back to the community in some way? I'm just curious. Thanks. At this point, no, uh, but there's definitely probably room for that as we continue to build this service. Um, but at this point, we we haven't had any special arrangements, um, just working together to get the best bid for the homeowner. Any other? Oh, Edith, looks like you're going to. Yeah. Um, Stacey, I was wondering, um, does... Um, I think Habitat's a great program. I just want to say that. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Has Habitat been tracking um, the percentage of um, uh, BIPOC families that you serve in the community? 
So that's a great question. Thanks for asking. So we did actually, um, within this past year, look back over the past five years to see um, the demographics of who we're serving. And about half of our families are um, BIPOC families um, or non-white families. So yes, definitely trying to represent um, serving all, all ethnicities with our program. And this program is in line with that? as well so because this is is fairly new i don't know if it matches that exact with our home building um but i can certainly get that information back to you for sure thank you yeah ron uh, ron gaseous chamber representative question for stacy stacy has um uh, do you know, has there been any efforts by any of the contractors you're working with to um, work with Peasley to assist in training uh, young adults in any of the trades that, um, that you folks are using for home improvements and modifications? That's a, a great suggestion, and, and that's one I don't know if we've looked into, uh, but I do like that opportunity to partner with with the community again. So yeah, that is definitely something we could we could reach out to. Thank you. Yeah, Shannon. Uh, Shannon Reed, Douglas County Commission. <clears throat> uh, great suggestion, Ron. I think that um, Kevin Kelly at Peasley Tech would be a great um, partner yeah. in this. I think they even have HVAC tech stuff. Um, you did mention a wait list earlier. Do you happen to know how many requests are on that wait list or maybe an average number if it's kind of a moving number? Of course. I don't know an exact number. It's kind of a moving target, as you suggested. And some of the projects are on the wait list just because of the season. So things that we may be able to do outside, we're holding now because of weather. Uh, we did have some projects interior that had to be on hold during COVID um, in the earlier days of COVID just because of safety for um, our volunteers and staff. So it's kind of a, a liquid list, if you will, depending on the season. Okay, this is the last chance. We've grilled Stacy pretty good here. I've enjoyed every <laughs> More minute. questions than anybody else combined, but uh, that's good. It's good. It's an interesting program, and uh, glad to see it uh, in the in the bunch for requests. So, any other questions going? Going on. Okay. Thank you, Stacy. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. We are going to move on to the next project. Uh, the Housing Authority. Authority. Which I'm going to butcher this name. Uh, Galel Obi. Yes. Good afternoon. Morning. Good afternoon. Still, I guess. <laughs> uh, this is Galal Obeid. Oh, I am. Okay. Yeah. I'm the Director of Operations with the Lawrence Douglas County Housing Authority, and uh, I'll be talking about our application for the New Horizons program. Uh, New Horizons was created in 2016. It is a transitional housing program uh, for families that are guests of the Lawrence Community Shelter, so families experiencing homelessness. Um, our program offers 24 months of rental assistance to these families uh, in, um, in connection to uh, 
including 24 months of case management through a partnering agency. And uh, uh, throughout the 24 months, these households work with their case managers on um, uh, development. It could be employment, it could be education, it could be anything that the family needs to build stability within their household. Um, our program has seen a 76% success rate. Uh, success is determined based on uh, transitioning from that transitional housing to receiving permanent uh, uh, voucher. So our households are eligible for a permanent voucher from our agency uh, after, the four, uh, after the 24 months are completed and are successful. Uh, success is determined in terms of uh, no major lease violations, maintaining a good rental history within those two years, uh, working with their case managers, um, kind of reporting their income on a regular basis. Uh, their income is uh, uh, determines their portion of the rent when it comes to their um, uh, the support they receive. So we uh, do about 30% of your income is going towards uh, um, rental. Um, and in, since 2016, we've served 24 households. Uh, and that was a total of 90 individuals, 60 of them were children. Um, over 60% of the New Horizon uh, participants identify as BIPOC. 96% um, of them are at the 0 to 30% AMI. So we're really serving individuals that are in need of housing. Uh, this program directly addresses the Lawrence, um, uh, the Lawrence housing market analysis by uh, offering opportunity uh, of transitional housing, which is identified as a solution for addressing homelessness. Uh, but what's great is that we offer this permanent uh, voucher towards the end upon successful completion. Um, since 2019, uh, the Lawrence Douglas County Housing Authority has received $110,000 from the Affordable Housing Trust. That money has been fully obligated and spent actually. Um, if we focus just on funding that came from the Affordable Housing Trust, uh, we served five households with that money. Um, three of them successfully transferred to permanent housing. Um, one uh, voluntarily left the program uh, and one did uh, fall out of that program um, unsuccessfully. So that's still an 80% success rate, even within the smaller uh, portion of the um, uh, uh, AHAB funds. Um, currently, we have three households on the wait list with one more anticipated. The $50,000 that is being requested would house about three households. Uh, it really just depends on the number of individuals in each household. Uh, but based on our wait list, it would be about three people uh, would benefit from the $50,000 for 24 months. Um, uh, the households, in addition to having case management from one of our partnering agencies, um, typically it's LCS or Family Promise that supports these families because they are guests of the Lawrence Community Shelter. Um, they have uh, access to our resident services office, uh, which offers youth programs, wellness programs, employment support, education, uh, financial literacy, transportation, uh, and uh, uh, so they have like a, a double case management opportunity. Um, and the idea is to really push them towards that successful uh, completion of the program. Um, let's see. 
Yeah, so the program is, is very simple. We've talked a lot about transitional housing before, uh, and uh, um, I'll take any questions you have right now. Thank you for that presentation, Gal. Um, do we have any questions from our board? Yeah, Ron. You're on mute, Ron. Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. Thank you, Monty. Uh, I see a couple of years ago that that you had received from uh, the Housing Trust Fund, the New Horizon program had $60,000 as compared to the $50,000 that was uh, received last year. Um, were, were you able to serve an additional family? Do you recall when when we had a little bit more money in the program? Yeah, so the, the the Affordable Housing Trust Fund, all that money served a total of five households, and uh, $25,000 of it was given to Family Promise for case management purposes. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right, thank you. No problem. And I'd like to add that we do get funding from the county as well, uh, and for 2021, we received $100,000. Um and so we'll be able to support additional households, especially as they come out of the Monarch villages. Um, currently, uh, and just to clarify, one of the households that I've identified as being served from the AHAB funds uh, has been transferred into county funds because that money could not support all five households. So we just move them over and we obligate. Monty, this is Shannon Reed. Yeah. Um, Shannon Reed, Douglas County Commission. Thanks, Galal. Um, so along those lines and along some of the questioning of previous um, proposals, if there were more than $50,000, is there capacity to support more households within the New Horizon program, or does that number represent sort of the, the availability in terms of both staff resources and capacity and material housing capacity? Uh, great question. That that really just depends on our uh, LCS and the number of referrals received from them. Um, so currently, based on the wait list that we have and what we're anticipating, um, the 50000 would be great. Um, I know that additional funds will always say yes, we'll... Um, we can find, there are households that that are in need. We do have families that are experiencing homelessness on a regular basis. And so additional funds would just open up a greater capacity. But based on the current need that we have in place on paper, the $50,000 would be best. All right, it is Monty Sokup Chair. Any other questions? Okay, great. Thank you, Galal. Appreciate that. Thank you. Great program. Great program. Okay, so we are going to move on to the Housing Stabilization Collaborative. I believe that's Gabby Sprague that will be presenting that. And Gabby, are you there? You go. Hi. Hi. Um, Leah, can I share my screen with some slides? This is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. Yes, ma'am. It should be ready for you. 
Thank you all for allowing me some time to talk about the Housing Stabilization Collaborative today. Um, can you all see this slide then? Okay, perfect. Um, so yeah, we submitted an application to the Affordable Housing Advisory Board. A little bit of history about the Housing Stabilization Collaborative. It began um, in March 2020 as a grant-funded Failing Promise of Lawrence program, which then turned into a collaborative Douglas County Community Foundation Emergency Relief Grant with tends to homeowners and family promise of Lawrence. Since then, um, in the fall of 2020, with that funding, they we received the Sparks Cares funding for 850. And we dispersed that to 497 families with an average payment of 1875. Since I came on as the HSC program manager in March, and then starting in April with the funding, we've distributed 173,000 to 146 households with an average payment of 1185. Um, that's all rental assistance funding. Um, we've also been working with the CARE program, the Kansas Emergency Rental Assistance Program through the Kansas Housing Resources Corporation to help people through the application process when um, it's more applicable to their situation for them to apply for that state federal funding. It's difficult to collect numbers on that as we've now grown to a collaborative of over 12 different agencies working on this stuff. Um, but it's been, I would estimate that we've helped about 200 households um, through the care process. Hopefully soon through collaboration with the Kansas Housing Resources Corporation, we'll soon have access to 750 CARA applications to help um, those include closed and open applications through the care program to help uh, Douglas County household through that process. Um, since beginning in March 2020, we've kind of split off into, into two different arms of the HSC, I would say. One being stabilization, um, which is primarily what we've applied for through rental and utility assistance funding. Um, and then we also, through the stabilization support um, sort of supportive services or, or case management and have conversations around that. And then we also have the other arm, which is the landlord engagement piece of that, which is primarily headed by um, the Lawrence Douglas County Housing Authority Landlord Liaison, Mario Ferrero. Um, we're currently developing a utility assistance process. We received about $25,000 from um, the county to do that. Um, in situations where the care program is not appropriate. Um, and then, as I mentioned, the HSC landlord engagement is a sort of newer part of the HSC, and we're developing that as well. Utility payments, we can currently make them to the city of Lawrence for water, sewer, trash disposal, Black Hills for gas, and Evergy for electricity. Um, and we're looking to kind of build the process alongside our rental assistance funding that we've um, applied for through you all today. And as far as landlord engagement, we're continuously building this out. Um, right now, we have work groups. Uh, Mariel has work groups for the rental availability list that I was putting out for a while. We're looking at making some more concerted efforts um, among the 12 different agencies involved in our collaboration um, to make that rental availability list a little more uh, streamlined in, insofar as how we're engaging landlords in a more concerted effort. Um, we also have landlord incentive programming. Um, this is primarily through the housing authority right now, but we have applied for 50,000 through you all um, to do some more programming around that. 
Uh, we're also doing program education with landlords so they're aware of how they can support their tenants through social service agencies and the programs that are available through all of us. And then we're also, um, we apply for landlord tenant mediation and we have some process and thoughts about how that's going to go about particularly engaging a local abutting community agency, um, local community agency called Building Peace. So I want to take a little bit of moments to talk about sort of why we need rental assistance, why we need these landlord mitigation funding, and um, why we need these uh, landlord tenant mediation funding. Particularly right now, I think it's a really important time to recognize the need for rental assistance funding, as I think a lot of folks perceive that, you know, we, we have this emergency of the pandemic and thus why are, are we needing rental assistance funding? I would argue that we've been in a housing crisis for a long time and the pandemic has only exacerbated that. We're currently in a housing crisis. In 45 states in the District of Columbia, median gross rents increased faster than median rent or household income between 2001 and 2018. Um, and I'll share these slides with you all. That way you can look at the um, link there from the National Low Income Housing Coalition. Um, as you all may know, through the BBC's housing and market analysis, um, they talk about the federal definition of affordability. Um, affordability means not in, um, not spending more than 30% of your annual median income on housing costs. And that's considered cost burden if you're spending between 30 and 50%. And then severely cost burden would be more than 50%. In Lawrence, Kansas, um, this housing crisis looks like um, the following. So for a fair market value for a two bedroom, that's 935. In order to be not cost burden, in order not to be spending more than 30% of income on that two bedroom, you would need to be making $37,400 annually. Um, that equates to about 1802 an hour at 40 hours a week and a minimum wage of Kansas is 725 an hour. Um, this, as we may, as you may know, this affects BIPOC communities, Black, Indigenous, people of color communities at higher rates. Um, and I also wanted to note that these numbers do not include utilities. So having said all of that, I think rental assistance is going to continue being um, a temporary solution to these more systemic problems that we're seeing. Um, I would argue that the Affordable Housing Advisory Board um, has a lot of great ideas as far as making more permanent affordable housing, um, but I think about what are we going to do to support people right now as well. Um, I just wanted to make note of this and show how BIPOC communities are affected more and are often cost burdened more. This is nationally. Um, it's pretty accurate for the local community as well. Um, again, I will send these slides out to you all. As far as landlord mitigation funding, I would say the biggest barrier to people being housed right now in Lawrence is just landlords unwilling to work with them. Um, I don't have particular numbers for this. We're looking at building that, me and Marielle are, um, with the Housing Authority and with the HSC. Um, but it's been very difficult just anecdotally to get landlords willing to loosen restrictions. This includes people with vouchers. This includes people with evictions on their record, felonies on their record, et cetera. Um, and we don't have particular parameters that we put in our application. However, we're going to um, uh, basically listen and, and be in direct contact with the landlord liaison at the Housing Authority for how best we can use landlord mitigation funding in the Douglas County area. 
Another part of our proposal was the mediation funding that we're asking for. Um, some benefits of, of having some mediation funding is, you know, engaging landlords and more opportunities to um, engage them in social service agency work, being able to use mediations, um, mediation sessions as an avenue to inform them of the work that's being done and, and their rental assistance that's available, anything that could help a, a situation along. Um, this is also just another tool in the toolbox. Um, as far as the the research that we've looked at, um, we need, we not only need rental assistance, but we need other sort of avenues that we can um, catch people before it gets to the court system and becomes a little too far along down, down the pipeline of being, a, of, of being evicted um, and having another tool to catch them before all of, all of that. And then I also find that mediation will be helpful in being able to provide solutions for both parties. Um, oftentimes the landlord gets, gets left out of these conversations and um, we don't, you know, solutions aren't always to the landlord's benefit. So hopefully through mediation, we can find solutions that are beneficial for both. Um, and like, yeah, as I said, there, we don't have to get the court system involved if we can establish a mediation before even getting to the court system. Um, for those of you who may not have looked at it or had time to look at it, I just wanted to pull this little bit from Building Pieces Mediation Proposal to the HSC. Basically how it's going to work is we'll do all of the administrative work on the back end, but as far as the landlord and tenant, there will be a first mediation conference where they just come together, sort of talk about the goals of the mediation. The second mediation conference where um, hopefully we can reach a conclusion, and if not, the third mediation is a continuation of that and hopefully um, through that process, the landlord and tenant can come to some sort of solution before going to the court system. Um, a couple other items that I wanted to note. Um, so for 2020, we asked for, uh, I think it was 500,000, maybe 450,000 from you all last year. Um, we received 150,000 of that. 81,000 of that was for direct services, and that was rental assistance dispersed to 84 households. Um, we have about $2,600 funding left for services and costs. The 73, or I can't do math, um, whatever the difference is between 2,600 and the 10,000 there has been primarily used for supportive service stipends. Um, that's the $250 stipend that social service agencies can give to um, receive as a result of helping someone through the HSE application process. And also it's been primarily used for move-in fees, such as admin and app fees when someone comes to us saying that, you know, I need to move into a place, but I can't afford these. And the remaining funding of the 150,000 is currently just being used for the HSE program manager salary. Um, and I just wanted to make a note of that as that was not in the application um, as far as the funding previously received and where that's at. Any questions for me? I just threw a lot of information at you and spoke really fast. Thank you, Gabby. That was uh, well done. Nice presentation. Lots of lots of information there. Um, are there questions from our board about this program? This is Christina Gentry, um, board member who has received or is receiving uh, housing assistance. Thank you, Gabby. I, I really um, appreciate your application, especially the inclusion of the designing a program with racial equity goals, uh, your racial equity checklist as it is that you applied and, and, and gave as a reference to. And then I also see the the um, answers to these questions um, as they 
give a little bit more insight, in-depth discovery of, of what real racial equity looks like. Um, and especially when you're designing uh, and designing a program that helps to benefit um, our community. Um, I have a question maybe you could answer, but um, as I'm reading the application and reading the racial equity checklist, um, I'm really pulled to the reaching undocumented mixed status in other households, sometimes excluded from assistance. Uh, and I'm wondering um, too, if part of the funding and part of the monies that you're asking for, um, or even part of monies that you could ask for, if you could get more money, would some of those fundings or some of that money go towards um, building into or incorporate like more non-English speaking mediators? Um, would you see or foresee that happening or being part of your, um, uh, plan as, as it is now, as it exists, to maybe continue to reach um, our community that is uh, doesn't speak English or speak English as a second language, um, but, you know, just to strengthen that kind of capacity? Yeah, I would say as far as the mediation, we still have the same goal of that mediation funding going to the benefit of 50% of BIPOC communities are receiving our funding. Um, that includes the Spanish speaking community oftentimes. Um, I would also state that we have a very close relationship with Centro Hispano. A lot of the emergency county funding that we've received, I would say a majority of it has gone to folks that are working with Centro Hispano who are oftentimes not eligible for the state funding due to not having a social security number, due to not having um, a, a federal work ID number um, that the CARE program requires. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about that. I don't think that's actually legal federally, but um, it's a little messy. Um, but I would say that our close relationships with community partners who work directly with the populations that you're describing um, is is truly where um, our our sort of um, our I'm trying to think of the the right wording like um, is where the strength of our um, adherence to you know our goals of 50% of um, funding going to BIPOC communities and that's truthfully where that comes from. Um, I, I've just been really, we've received about 45 applications from Centro Hispano folks um, since receiving the county funding, and that's been a majority of them, and it's really great that we have that county funding to be able to support folks um, that can't apply for the state assistance. Awesome. Thank you, Gabby. Small day, soak up chair. Any other questions for Gabby? Kind of running close on time here. All right, thank you, Gabby. It was a wonderful presentation and wonderful program as well. So thank you for making an application on behalf of your organization. All right, so up next, uh, we have going the Going South subdivision, uh, Saab, uh, I guess Saab Construction is uh, making that application and Sally Saab is, I believe, joining us. Or maybe it's Frank, I don't know. Sally, are you with us? Yes, start yes. Oh, here we go. You have it now? Yes, we do. We don't have a picture, there we go. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry about that. That's all right. Uh, wanted to talk about our subdivision. Uh, it's a 10-acre subdivision. 
out on O'Connell Youth Ranch Road. We have owned this piece of ground for probably close to 15, 18 years. Uh, we've tried to develop a couple times uh, before. Our biggest problem has been the cost of 28th Street, uh, which is on the exterior of the actual subdivision. It uh, parallels the subdivision. Uh, that has always added so much extra cost to the subdivision that it made the lots too, afford, uh, too expensive to hit that first-time home buyers and the affordable housing market. Uh, we're asking for money to pay for the 28th Street uh, improvements. And with the cost, we're estimating the cost of the 28th Street improvements to be approximately $300,000. Uh, the 10-acre lot subdivision is a 38 lot subdivision. So when you take the $300,000 uh, cost of 28th Street and divide that between the 38 lots, that reduces the lot prices uh, $7,900 per lot. Uh, with a $7,900 lot reduction, this gets these lots affordable to uh, both affordable housing and first-time home buyers. Uh, we are currently talking with both uh, Rebecca Buford with Tennis to Homeowners, and uh, we're also talking with uh, Erica Zimmerman down at uh, Habitat for Humanity. Uh, right now, the way we have this, and I don't know if you have the copy of the plat in front of you, but the West cul-de-sac, which is 13 lots, uh, we will make available to tenants, to homeowners, and uh, Habitat for Humanity, uh, which is approximately one-third of the lots. Uh the remainder lots, uh, we will build uh, first-time homebuyer homes, and then we also have a bunch of uh, approximately 15 uh, duplex lots that we will build some small two-bedroom and three-bedroom duplexes. Uh, for affordable housing, uh, we do a lot of rentals. Uh, we uh, and we will use these either for rentals or for uh, townhouses. Uh, we have not completely decided on that yet on whether they'll be rentals or townhouses, depending on the market and what people can afford when we get done. Uh, a lot of the rentals that we have at this time 
we have been able over the years to uh, rent with the option to buy. Uh, we've done some Section 8 vouchers uh, on several of them. Uh, we have some rentals for elderly. Uh, and a lot of our rents are below market value uh, on our rentals. Uh, so it's a good mix of both affordable housing, uh, market rate housing, and uh, first-time homebuyer homes. Uh, what else is nice about this is that the people that buys houses in the affordable housing market and the first-time home buyers market in this subdivision where a lot of those houses that are commonly built right now are in sections of Old East Lawrence uh, or maybe North Lawrence, those houses don't appreciate in value uh, because of the surrounding area uh, and the market those houses sell for in that area. Uh, this 10 acres, uh, this subdivision will be out in the South East Lawrence neighborhood in a moderate, low to moderate priced uh, housing area around it. Those houses typically appreciate at a higher uh, rate than what uh, the other houses I was talking about. So a person uh, that qualifies for an affordable house in this neighborhood uh, will also hopefully get better appreciation over the years faster. Uh, help them gain equity in the property better. Uh, as a builder, uh, I've been a builder for 35 years. Uh, we started off building in the starter home market uh, and probably did so for the first 25 years we was in business. Over the 25 years that we built houses, we helped a lot of people get into their first homes. Uh, we're qualified VA builders, so those people that are VA, uh, we can help them get into a house. Uh, again, we have worked with people on renting houses or townhouses and then uh, working with them on a rent to own purchase, uh, sell on contract. Uh, so we bend over backwards to help people get in their first home and uh, try to make it affordable for them. Do you have any questions? Thank you, Ms. Monty Sokup, Chair. Thank you, Frank. Appreciate that uh, presentation. And we'll open up the questions here uh, to the board. Do we have any questions? Go, go ahead, Ron. Uh, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. Frank, what kind of conversations have you had with the city in the past 
about improvements to that street? Uh, and the last time that we have tried this was back in 2014. Okay. And they were not uh, willing to help us with the cost of 28th Street. Uh, and one of the things that I did put in on my application, we are talking with one of the city commissioners. Uh, and if we can find funding for 28th Street from a different source, uh, we would withdraw this uh, application for the money. But uh, we just got our preliminary plat approved a week and a half ago. Mm -hmm. So we had to turn this in quite quickly uh, because the we only had like four or five days after we got the preliminary plat approved to uh, turn in for this grant money. But we wanted to make sure that our preliminary plat got approved before we, we started going uh, looking for money. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Frank. Uh, I have a question. You said you uh, you've been talking to tenants to homeowners and Habitat to make the lots available. What does that make the lots available mean? Does that mean they have a first right of offer? Or does that mean you're going to provide those lots to those entities? Provide them at a reduced cost? What does that mean? Uh, I will re uh, offer those lots at the uh, West End, those 13 lots to tenants to homeowners and uh, Habitat for Humanity at a reduced price. Uh, my intention is to, you know, get those lots to them at the cheapest price I could possibly can. Okay. <laughs> Okay. I have. It's uh, a hard thing to base a decision off of. I mean, I don't know what that means. You know, does that mean the seventy nine hundred dollars off per lot that every lot gets, or does that mean, you know, I just don't know what that means. It's hard to put a finger on that for me. I understand that, and uh, yes, that is hard because I, I don't have cost for the whole subdivision where I can sit here and tell you that, okay, these single family lots that we're going to sell for uh, first time home buyers, we're going to set the price at such and such. Uh, the duplex lots will be as another price and the prices for these 13 lots that we're planning on selling to uh, or making available to tenants, homeowners and uh, Habitat for Humanity is going to be another price. Uh, for the people that know me, uh, they know that I have, you know, helped on uh, building affordable homes and such. While I was with the Lawrence Home Builders Association, twice I organized two blitz builds uh, 
talked about the Lawrence Home Builders did for Habitat for Humanity, where we built houses uh, for human, uh, Habitat for Humanity in a two and a half day blitz build. And both times, uh, me and two or three others, uh, Kelly Drake, and uh, we organized that. And uh, I was very happy and very proud to be a part of that. All right, I'm gonna, any other last questions? We're kind of running up on our time here. Okay, I, uh, I, I have mine yeah. quickly. I, yeah, this is Sarah Waters at the University of Kansas. I, I don't know if it's possible to get more information submitted um, by you, Mr. Salb, so that we could consider it as we have to develop our scores out. So some of the verbal commitments and things you've talked about and knowing you just got everything platted fairly recently. And so maybe just to give us more that's in writing, if that's acceptable as part of the trust process. I just, right now, I don't feel like I have enough information to, to do, to, to provide my scores. So Monty or Ron or somebody else, if that, or even Leah, if that could be possible. So supplemental information maybe for us to consider before our stuff's due. I would be willing to give you any information I possibly can now and all the way through the construction of 28th Street. Uh, keep you updated as much as I possibly can. Uh, you know, two things I want to throw out here. One, uh, if we use or find out that our, right now, the estimated cost that we're using is just what we came up quickly. If we find out that we need less money than that, I will reduce the number uh, by whatever our actual bid comes up. Two, we keep talking about we need affordable housing, but the only way that we can get affordable housing is by bringing in affordable lots. And that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, I love Lawrence. I've lived in Lawrence for the last 45, 50, no, close to 50 years. And, uh, Lawrence has been good to me, and this is my way of giving back to Lawrence by helping them with the affordable housing. Okay. Uh, thank you for that answer, Grant. Uh, Monty, soak up chair. Leah, is it, is it reasonable for us to ask for some additional information that help us make a decision on that? I mean, ultimately, when we get there, or is that somehow jeopardize the process. Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. Um, that could be something that the board may wish to discuss during the deliberation and discussion period. Um, that has not been um, a process that's been conducted previously. And um, we would just ask the board to consider equity issues in terms of the opportunity for other applicants to submit additional materials or make modifications on their applications if one applicant is being um, allowed to do so where does that leave other applicants who may also wish to submit additional information for consideration? Okay, thank you, Leah. Uh, I'm going to wrap up, unless somebody's got a burning question, I'm going to wrap up this discussion, uh, keeping with our time limit. Frank, yeah. I want to thank you and uh, Sally for coming forward with the project. This is, 
this project has such potential. I'm not sure we got all the information we need, but it has great potential. And I appreciate having an in a, you know private contractor come forward with the right part to uh, you know try to make a project go. So I certainly appreciate the application, and we'll take it into uh, consideration. Well, thank you for your time today, and uh, all the other committee members. All right. So that concludes our presentations for today. Um, I find my agenda here. I think we're just going to move into uh, discussion. Oh, here it is. <laughs> of the uh, of the projects. So um, we have the key projects element chart that uh, Leah uh, prepared that has um, has kind of the summary of those things that the uh, that the staff. You know, calculates for us and, uh, and and summarizes for us. So, there, are there any questions on uh, on that chart? Are we ready to just dive into talking about the projects individually here? All right. Looks to me like we're ready to dive into talking about the project. Shannon, you Shannon, this is uh, <clears throat> sorry. Shannon Reed, Douglas County Commission. Um, I don't have any questions right away, but um, Mr. Salb, I just wanted to mention that you are still um, your audio is on. If you could mute yourself, um, that would be great. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Well, let's, let's jump right in here. Uh, so the first one we uh, saw was Independence Inc. Um, that's the Accessible Housing Program. Uh, it's a program we've funded multiple times. Uh, they have a similar type request. Uh, are there any comments on that that we want, anything we want to talk about there? Sarah, I see you're... Uh, well, Monty, this is Sarah Waters. I just unmuted because I guess I'm trying to understand what we're doing now. So are we going to walk through each of these to discuss to do what, um, I guess? Oh, yeah. So um, because any... our scores aren't doing it. So and then are we coming back in December to discuss further? So just this feels a little different than past meetings, maybe. So I wanted to understand what we're getting ready to do. Certainly. Okay, Monty, soak up chair. So the idea here is we thought that we got these presentations if there are any comments or clarifications that the board wanted to make before everybody went and did their independent review, uh, that we would have an opportunity to do that. Okay, so we don't have to discuss in detail anything, but I wanna make sure that everybody has an opportunity if there were questions that we maybe ran out of time for, that you did not wanna ask of the applicant directly, uh, that you wanted to ask the board. This is the opportunity to kind of have that discussion and uh, and then we will come back and have, uh, after we've scored personally, we'll come back and have that separate discussion and then generate a board recommendation on funding. But this is your opportunity to, before you go walk away and independently rank those projects and, and score them. So I appreciate that. I just, for clarity for all of us, again, this is Sarah Waters. So I, I'm gonna jump for a second though, because. Okay. 
on the solve construction line, I do have the intention of asking for us to go back to him and to get further commitments in what he just verbally talked about, especially that partnership with tenants to homeowners and habitat. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think there is another request for information from him. Um, I don't right now feel I have a request for information from the other agencies that I need um, because their applications um, and their presentations, I feel like I have enough info. So I wanted to say that about the last one in case we get to the last one and then I say that and then we have to come back and ask, do we need more info from any of the others? Um, and so if others disagree, fine, but I wanted to open that now as well for consideration before we get all the way through. Certainly, and uh, we can always go through these backwards too and just start with sob constructions and so it's hot on our minds. And I think probably the most, in some ways the most difficult because there were, because it, the intent is there. I'm not sure all the information we need to make a good decision is there. Um, and maybe we do need to ask for some more information. I think if we do that, we need to go back and give the other applicants an opportunity to provide us more information if they want to, just so it's an equitable process. You know, one person gets the opportunity, everybody should at least have the opportunity to make, you know, throwing that out as an idea, just to make sure we don't haven't you know, provided someone an advantage or disadvantage. Yeah, okay, I got Ron with a hand up. And then Shannon. Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. Mr. Chairman, I think in years past, in funding cycles in the past, there have been times when we've asked questions of uh, applicants and they have submitted additional information or direct responses to those questions to staff and they were then distributed uh, out to AHAB members before the next meeting where we made our funding decisions. I don't recall that happening last year, but I think if you go back um, three or four cycles, uh, we had a couple of examples like that. Uh, I totally uh, agree with Sarah's point. I, uh, I would like to have some additional information, particularly some clarification on what the relationship, the agreements might be with the uh, two not-for-profit builders. And, um, uh, you know, if we've got any other questions of any of the other applicants, uh, let's queue those up also. Okay, Shannon, you had your hand up there, I think. Hi, uh, Shannon Reed, Douglas County Commission. So I, I think I have some, well, based on that comment, question of, I guess, some more seasoned board members that are here um, and also staff about process um, for requesting and or receiving additional information after a deadline has been passed. And I, I'm, I would like some context for process as we're having this conversation. Um, it's specifically because it is it is predominantly an incomplete application. I mean, mo most of the sections are incomplete. Specifically, none of the questions related to equity were addressed. Um, and so I hear conversation right now, um, wanting to know more about those potential partnerships or conversations that have happened so far with tenants to homeowners and Habitat for Humanity. Um, and I can appreciate that. And I, I mean, I'm also curious um, to know a bit more of that. And that might have piqued my interest in the application. But 
the um, there was very little completed on that application. And I understand now some context for that perhaps, um, but ultimately it feels my instinct in response to that is that <clears throat> it's not a, um, a ready enough project perhaps. And then it does raise equity concerns for me around um, five other applications that were thorough and complete um, and have pretty fully conceptualized ideas. Um, so I, anyway, those are my thoughts about it, staff and or past board members. Um, I would be interested in hearing some perspective about process or situations like this have arisen. Yeah, this is Monty Sokup Chair. I would agree <laughs> this, may, this project maybe isn't ready I mean, that information may not even exist for this project and it may not be ready for submission. And maybe the next round after they've solidified, you know, agreements with tenants to homeowners and other applicants that can help them administer and fill in those blanks and make sure that it's a really good application. So I think that's one option too to consider to say this is not complete enough. There's not good enough information. And we, you know, certain, you know, maybe you don't make an award there, right? Or whatever. So I think that's a possibility too. So uh, I see Brad has his hand up and then Christina would like to. Hi, this is Brad Carr, Community <laughs> Development Analyst. And I was just going to answer some of County Commissioner Reed's questions on past application processes. And um, since I was mainly the one handling those before Leah and before Alyssa were hired as the housing administrator, um, in the past, there have been instances where the board, after the presentations, have additional questions that were not specifically listed as questions in the application, but they asked if the uh, applicant could provide that. And some samples would be uh, past demographics of people, uh, individuals that were served. And, um, you know, the, the applicant has provided that information to staff, and then we passed it on to the board members. We've never really had this situation where um, an application comes in essentially blank. Um, and so that is something that I think the board needs to discuss as to whether um, by not filling out the application, is that different than asking for additional information? And then just as a comment, um, as the staff has reviewed all these applications, we do have a list of some questions too on this application that um, at, at some point, if um, the board would like to hear our questions about this, we would be happy to go over some of those also. Ms. Monty, so Chair, thank you, Brad. I think, Christina, you were next with your hand up there. Yes, thank you, Monty. This is Christina Gentry, um, member who has received or receiving assistance. So we, in our application, I say we, um, the AHAB board, in our application process, we're asking of the um, applicants to give any information about um, any litigation or any type of past litigation or um, even declaring bankruptcy. Um, and it says here in the answer, I won't, I won't read the SALB's answer. Um, however, anyone can go in and get this information online, I'm sure, if they were interested to read further. Um, I'm asking maybe a clarifying question of our reach. Can we ask questions um, about a, a situation that is involving litigation, um, especially if it's very recent and maybe it hasn't been um, or is still in process? Um, can we... I guess I'm asking if, if that's if that's our task to ask that um, and to receive answers. Um, this seems maybe 
to understand a little bit about how and how deep we, we can go into a person's um, history if it's uh, involving some litigation or law suits. So maybe some answers for more seasoned um, vets here in the AHAB. Um, Ms. Monty, so Chair, I, I don't know the answer. I'm thinking that might be a question for the city's council to potentially answer as opposed to us taking a stab at it. So I, I'm, I'm guessing that we can get the answer to that um, and get back out to our board with that. So uh, I think Edith, I think you were next on the... On uh, yes. Um, I, I want to say that uh, this is an incomplete application. I would agree with that. It is, however, the on, only the second application we have for construction. Uh, and I want to uh, lean into that being important and hope that there is a way that um, we can encourage um, getting more information um, for this project in the long run. Uh, none of the other applicants are new to us. Um, we know them all. <laughs> and they've been before us almost every single time. And that does not say that they're not good applicants. Um, that just means I don't have many questions about them. They are all very good projects. Um, and I will continue to wrestle with the balance between um, brick and mortar projects and supportive services. Um, because this is this time it is really out of balance as far as the request for dollars. And you all have heard this from me from the very day I got on this board, uh, but that will be a continual uh, challenge because, because it just is. Thank you, thank you, Edith Swanty Sokup Chair. Um, I would kind of back that up. I, I think that we've always said that we have to get the private building enterprise involved in order to get the volume that we want done. And that's going to feel uncomfortable at times. I'm not advocating that this project is the one, right? <laughs> but I think we might have to, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I think I, we should give it strong consideration, some consideration, and try to work and, and make sure that it can become a good project. And that may mean it's not going to happen in this application process. Maybe it's the next year's application. And we have, you know, some of our, uh, you know, tenants and homeowners and whoever, you know, Habitat, work with them to create the project that involves the private developer that has the answers to the questions that we need answered to get this going. I'm, I'm just so encouraged that we have a private developer coming forward, even stepping forward to take a risk, even if the application is incomplete at this point, I think they just don't know the answers at this point. And maybe it's premature, you know, a premature application. But I think we need to, I'd love to explore, at least explore it. Because if we can get the answers we want, we got an opportunity to get you know, 13 lots into the hands of our not-for-profits and potentially have some other uh, affordable housing stock 
Um, but again, I'd be looking for things like how do we, how can we get them to be permanently affordable? Just because the first buyer that makes, makes affordable, you know, how do we keep that affordable? What are the, you know, what are our values that can be worked into this project uh, that maybe can work for the developer as well? So, um, like I said, I'm encouraged. I'm, you know, again, I'm not ready to award this project yet, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm just so encouraged that we have somebody that's come forward and taken a risk. So, yeah, Ron. Uh, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. Uh, I, I concur with the comment made by Edith and, and also yours. And it, it strikes me that, you know, we've got, we've got an application that has been developed by city staff and largely by input from the not-for-profit organizations that work in the housing space. And um, I'm not a builder. I don't know many builders. But I'm guessing most of the builders, the private sector builders in our community, they never deal with an application that looks anything like this because they don't go looking for public sector dollars to subsidize their projects. Um, my, my, my general comment, I guess, would be that I don't know that we have an application that really works very well for the private sector applicant. Um, I, I also was disappointed that there was, you know, just zero equity information at all, but I don't even know if private developers keep track of the demographics of the people that purchase their homes. Um, I, I don't know that they're required to, uh, unless there is, um, a federally insured mortgage perhaps, but, um, so I, it, it, it strikes me that in order for private developers to work effectively with our application process, that we're going to need um, to offer them maybe some support to just work through our process and understand the importance of you know, filling all the blanks. And uh, you know, I, I think this is a very novel uh, application in that it's not asking us directly to subsidize the construction of homes, but rather to fund a street project that he hasn't been able to get funded because the city hasn't made it, you know, enough of a priority. There's not anything going on out there except he owns 10 acres of undeveloped land. Um, I, so I'm, you know, I, I also think it's probably a little premature to make a commitment on this particular application because there are uh, so many uh, unknowns for us. But gosh, I hope we can find a way to um, bring more private sector developers in. You know, I'd love to see them compete for the limited trust fund dollars. And as it is, we're just lucky to get an application or two once in a while from, from these folks. And, and then the first thing we do is we go, oh, gosh, they're not very complete. How can I justify um, responding affirmatively to this application when it looks so different from all of the others? That's, it's a challenge for us, I think. 
Thank you, Ron. I think uh, Leah had some insight on some conversations with tenants to homeowners, maybe, and Habitat. Thank you, Mr. Chair. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. There are a couple points that I just wanted to get clarification on. If we could go back to Christina's question, actually, um, she had asked about uh, some clarification regarding litigation and wanting staff to um, get further clarification from uh, council. Was that, what is the specific follow-up that's, that's being requested? So I understand. This is Christina Gentry. Um, Leah, are you asking me directly what I'm asking or, or uh, to clarify the question further, or is this going out to the group? Uh, is speaking about the legal um, aspect of the application process? Um, yeah, you specifically, since you had an additional question, what additional information were you wanting us to gather from that applicant? Sure. Thank you, Leah. Um, um, I really, it was a, a this is Christina Gentry, um, member at large, uh, remember who has received uh, you know, subsidies. Um, I I wanted to know, my question um, was basically to the board uh, and to, to, the, to the people who would know the answer uh, as it pertains to um, litigation um, and, and the, ask, the ask that we ask each of our applicants to give information about history that um, and they've been a defendant in any law, lawsuit or legal suit. Um, or our action that um, pertains to, um, I'm, I'm addressing, I'm assuming it's anything that's associated with housing, um, any past or criminal history. Um, it doesn't say criminal, but it talks about bankruptcy. We ask our applicants to give information about judgments recorded against them. So my question is, is this a, um, not so much ask from the applicant to continue to describe what these the details of our and this litigation, if there one exists, but it's more of like our if, if if we're asking this, we're we're going to in some ways going to determine or involve or or maybe persuade judgment um, on on behalf of you know understanding what the history is of the applicant. So maybe this is a, a question I'm asking. Um, the board that oversees our board, <laughs> if if one exists, it can answer. Um, how deeply involved do we get into asking about litigation in history um, for our applicants? And, and can we continue to ask clarifying questions if something is, has been filed and submitted um, and still ongoing? So um, I'm hoping that makes sense uh, to form into a, a stronger question that may be a little bit more clarification there, Leah. This Monty soak up chair. I think if there were me, and it's just, I'm not recommending this as the answer, just personally, I would want to know the nature of whatever the lawsuit is. You know, is it, you know, it helps me to know if it's, uh, you know, is it over a construction issue? Is it over an occupancy issue? Is it over a discrimination issue? You know, just knowing the nature of whatever litigation they're involved in would probably be helpful to know whether it's really applicable to the thing we're trying to evaluate. To me, that would probably be enough. And if it was, uh, you know, if we found it applicable, you know, then we might want to try to dig deeper. But if we find out, you know, they're being sued because the sidewalk cracked and, you know, somebody filed a suit because the sidewalk cracked in front of their house, 
that's different than trying to evict somebody or having a discrimination, you know, kind of uh, kind of lawsuit. So that would be my personal take on what I would be looking for in getting further information. This is Leah Rosano, Affordable Housing Administrator. Thank you for that clarification to you both. Um, I also had some additional information. The board was um, wanting to know the nature of discussions with tenants to homeowners and family promise. And after reading the um, filed application, I reached out to those organizations to get clarification um, from Hab Lawrence Habitat for Humanity. Um, Erica Zimmerman responded that she has been in discussions with Frank Salb for several years regarding lots and building on the lots although she was not aware of the housing trust fund application. Um, so although she was aware that um, he was working on developing some land for habitat, there have been no further concrete discussions in terms of this application or these funds. And then Rebecca Buford from Tenants to Homeowners responded that she's also talked with them and hopes to acquire lots from that development, um, but that um, there has been no um, further clarification on how housing trust fund money would go uh, directly into lowering the cost of that land um, and that there has not been clarity on how the lots will be lowered or what price will be available to those organizations. Um, and then the final just um, point of clarification I wanted to make to the board is that um, as has been discussed in the past, if the board would like to see more projects for um, construction and development, that not all the available 1.2 million has to be allocated in this round. If um, you know the board would like to fund more of those applications but aren't necessarily seeing the projects in this round that the board may consider opening up another round or doing some uh, different creative projects um, to, to work on developing those specific projects the board would like to see. Mr. Chair, this is Sarah Waters. Um, I, I would like to just go ahead. I don't know if it's a movement or whatever. I, I would like to make the request that we go ahead and ask the solid proposal to just submit additional information for a lot of the reasons similar to what Edith said. This is one of the first private developers we've seen. I think there are going to be lessons learned from this. Ultimately, we make our final decisions. And then to Ron's point, should we decide we want to work with folks differently in the future um, or to walk them through the process differently but without an opportunity to give the solve Corporation an opportunity to come back with more? Um, I don't think I'm going to be well enough informed to properly score this. So I'd, I'd like to make that request. Um, and then to also, I mean, he, he can then decide if he's going to share additional information from tenants to homeowners or Habitat or whoever it might be. But I think right now we're talking circularly um, and trying to think of things that we're not sure about um, to rule him out today, potentially. And I would not like, I'd like to not rule him out today and to get further information. I would also submit that it's fine with me if we throw it out to all of them. If they want to submit something else at a hard deadline and they can throw it in and I'll read it before I score. Um, and then I will read it as part of then the discussions a couple of months or a couple a month from now. It's one month from now, sorry. Um, and then the last thing I would add is I think Christina's questions about one of the boxes that was checked on the application, those were worthy of asking here today. 
Um, so if you need more information as part of something in an application, and specifically what I'm seeing, Christina, whether it was what you were referencing, is that the box was checked yes regarding litigation, um, and then the specific case is noted, but it doesn't state what the subject matter was or what the overall charges or whatever the right legal phrase is there. That could be asked here. That could have been asked during that presentation. Um, and so that was the opportunity to, to try to bring more to life there. Um, and again, part of our conversation now, maybe more would be shared because the application is definitely incomplete, um, but I'd like to be able to further review it before I make decisions. So that's what I've got on this one um, and what I wanted to say at that point. Thank you, Sarah. Um, I guess I'm gonna ask the procedural question. Do we need a motion in order to make that request? Or can we uh, basically direct staff to, uh, as a committee, to collect that information and make, you know, basically ask everyone if they have additional information they're willing to submit that they can submit it. And um, so I guess I'm asking, do we need to make a motion or something kind of to do that to change the process or do you feel comfortable that we can just do that? This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. That does not need to be a motion. If the board would like to request staff to collect additional information, we're happy to do so. It would be helpful. I'm hearing that the board would like to accept sort of any general additional information from the other applicants. If there's specific additional information from the SALP application, uh, that would be helpful to know in advance. Okay. Uh, Monty Sogup Chair, I will put out a couple of questions that I had uh, with regard to the SOB uh, application, and that would be, um, you know, what is the opportunity that is afforded uh, tenants to homeowners and Habitat and whoever else uh, on those 13 lots? What is that opportunity? Uh, you know, are those free lots for those you know, entities or those subsidized lots or, you know, what's, what's the, what's the opportunity there? Um, and then I would, I would also like to know if they're, you know, on the affordable units, the, the market rate affordable units that are built, is there any uh, permanent affordability option for those? Or is it just, you know, we, we subsidize an initial sale of an affordable unit and then the first owner takes all of that equity and leaves with it when they sell? Uh, because that's essentially what we'd be doing. We'd be subsidizing the first buyer and that first buyer walks away with that extra $7,900 because when they sell, it'll sell at market. So how do we retain that value for our trust dollar funds? Those are my two questions on that. And this is Christina Gentry, a member of the board, received or has received in uh, subsidies. My questions would, would continue. I would want clarification on the um, litigation, uh, some, some little bit more in depth about that as it as it makes sense and as it's ethical 
to disclose. And I would also uh, request that there be some information placed in the equity uh, and the racial um, impact that this project will have on our community. Can read Douglas County Commission. Um, <clears throat> I think I would like to add that um, we've talked a lot about more information related to um, tenants to homeowners and habitat and what the development of that um, permanent affordability could look like in this development. I am also interested in um, knowing what other, I mean, more about those conversations, but also what other partners, organizations, so a, a bit more information about um, the status quo of conversations with the city. To, so to hear that that conversation has just sort of restarted recently, um, more information about that and um, uh, the chamber or Home Builders Association or any other organizations I think that are, are relevant to that because it, it's a large project and as you pointed out, Monty, that it's kind of a novel, I think it was you who pointed this out, it's kind of a novel approach and that it's not a direct, um, you know, start building homes, but it is a uh, piece of the project that the the SOLBs have indicated have been a barrier to moving forward. And I can appreciate um, that approach. So I, I would like more information about all of those kind of community players and, and agencies in, in that discussion for for that piece of the money. I also, so that's those are my questions for staff. Um, I also just want to take the opportunity to respond a little bit to some um, some of the comments before. I can appreciate that this is a, a a new application and a new process for private um, industry and private contractors in our community. And so I think that there is definitely worth in going um, through our thinking through our process about how it is accessible to um, nonprofit, private and public sectors. Um, I think it's also an opportunity to really think about how we leverage those community partnerships and relationships. So presumably if Solve Corporation has a relationship to the Chamber of Lawrence, for example, to the Home Builders Association, whom I know we don't have a representative um, currently on this board, um, but that those are, I think, and tenants to homeowners and um, Habitat, for that matter, with experience, those are all partners that I think could have been really great supports um, and could be um, built out as future supports for, for both attracting some private interest and in wanting to apply for these funds and come up with creative projects and seeking some support with submitting um, really robust applications. Okay, any uh, this Monty Silk up chair, any other comments? Okay, Edith. Yeah, uh, I just have a, a brief observation. It doesn't really, it's just really an observation. Um, all, you'll notice that all of our applications except SALT came from people, our organizations that are, I would call insiders. Um, and I think that should say something to us um, that we might wanna have a conversation about at a later time. Thank you, Edith. 
All right. <laughs> we spent a lot of time on that one. It was a complicated. I'm, I'm thank you for the conversation because I think we're, you know, it's going to be a learning situation for the entire board. So uh, moving backwards through the list, I'm going to go to the Housing Stabilization Collaborative Trust Fund application. Uh, are there questions on that? Yeah, Ron, go ahead. Um, <clears throat> and I don't know who to direct this question to. Um, some of the folks that would be most knowledgeable aren't in the room. Uh, do we know what kind of federal dollars the city or the county is looking to put into transitional housing or addressing homeless issues that might spill over and impact some of the programs that we're being asked to fund today? Monty Silkup Chair, I don't know the answer to that other than going to their budget and you can see where they uh, they are going to ask the county for about $625,000 and then they have local grants at 260, almost 265. Uh, I mean, other than looking at how else they're being funded, I don't know that I have any information. Danny, I see you popped on here. Yeah. You have an answer. This is a, this is Danny Walters. I see Brad popped on too. So um, I I can speak to um, the fact that HSC did receive a hundred thousand in emergency solutions grant funding, but they have spent all of that. And we also have an upcoming agreement that we're getting signed with them for CDBG for the Community Development Block Grant CARES Act money as well. In the amount of Brad, is it one hundred and twenty-five? Is that right? Just a hundred thousand. Hundred thousand. Okay. So those those are the two that uh, that we directly work with. Um, I am not sure how um, any of the um, ARPA money will will filter into that. Those are those are still discussions that need to be had. So. What's the timeline for making those decisions about those dollars? Um, I don't know that this, this is Danny Walters with um, the city. I, I am not sure that uh, the city has those uh, dollar amounts yet. Um, the amounts that, that we work directly with are the home portion of that. And those conversations while ongoing are kind of waiting for uh, some of this information to come up from the uh, uh, the study that KU is doing on our needs assessment for homelessness. The, the home money really has four different areas that it can be used for. And there is a potential that it, that it could be used for the HSC, but those discussions probably will not happen until um, the, probably early spring. So. All right, Ms. up Chair, any other questions, comments? I'm just going to make one comment. Uh, I, I always, I struggle with the balance of, you know, 
and it caught my attention in her presentation, which was a really great presentation, but is that, you know, we have the people that we have to help now before we have the affordable housing stock available. I struggle with the balance of also, if we use this funding to do this temporary support, we're taking away funds that we have for affordable housing stock generation, which is the long-term answer. So to me, this is always the struggle on this particular application. I'm not saying it's not a worthy project. I'm just saying I, I, that's where I struggle. So for whatever that's worth. Anyone else? Yeah, Ron. Uh, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I don't have another question, but I'd like to come back and, and re reinforce uh, an observation made by Edith just a few minutes ago that the SOC um, application is one of the few private sector applications we've received. One of the very few we've received in the four years that I've been uh, on the advisory board. Uh, I think we should be asking ourselves, why are we not receiving any more proposals from um, private developers? It, is it because there just aren't spots for them, very many spots for them to build affordable homes right now in Lawrence. Uh, but I mean, we're not even, we're not even getting much in the way of infill projects, um, onesies and twosies from, from private developers. We've gotten almost zero in that, in that uh, realm. And, and one of the bigger projects that we had was the uh, 23 Tennessee project, which has now been pulled off, uh, um, pulled off the calendar. So I, I would like to see us have a more in-depth conversation about um, what, what do we do to better partner with private sector builders? And, and additionally, what do we need to do to stimulate more innovative, low-cost housing alternatives? You know, nobody's come to us with any suggestions for doing something um, different. It's, it's all very much the same model of what we've been, you know, building here in Lawrence the last several years. And that's not really moving the needle much on with any quantity in addressing our capital investment needs for affordable housing. So I'd like to see us in addition to discussing how to better involve the private sector also discuss how do we get more innovative, low-cost options okay. um, brought into uh, consideration. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Ron. Any other questions on this? Then we're going to move on. We're going to try to get us wrapped up here uh, in a reasonable time. So, uh, Housing Authority uh, Trust Fund application. Are there any questions on that? Yeah, what is that one? Do see any questions on that application? Okay, I'm gonna move on. Uh, Lawrence Habitat for Humanity application. Quiet group here. Uh, tenants to homeowners, that's the Michigan Six project. 
All right. Okay. Independence Inc. Uh, that was the uh, home modification project for uh, disabilities and aging. Okay, you're quite a bunch. I think that runs us through all of our applications. So we're gonna move on to other business. Is there any new business? Mr. Chair, mm -hmm. this is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. Yeah. Before we move on, I just wanted to ask the board if there were any questions about the matrix and scoring rubric that's due. Um, any questions about how to complete it or when when it's due or any other technical questions the board may have. This is Sarah Waters. Um, I, I guess my only question is what the deadline, I don't believe that was stated that these groups are going to be given because I can't fill things out until I have time to review what they submit. So, I mean, I, I would submit to give them a week um, into next maybe Monday or to the city, so by close of business or by maybe Tuesday the 16th, you all could push things out Tuesday or Wednesday to us if that seems fair. Um, and then if I have that information, then I have I have no questions about the matrix myself, um, as long as I have complete information to review from. This is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. That's along the lines of what I was thinking, that I give them a deadline of Monday the 15th and get it out to the board by the 16th. Any additional questions about the matrix? All right, guys, you've done this before, so. <laughs> um, okay, so we're off to other new business. Is there any new business for the board? Um, I'm just gonna make a note of Ron's comment. Uh, you know, we'll put that out in a future agenda to try to have some kind of discussion about how we can engage the development community and private sector. Uh, and maybe it'll just be a brainstorming issue or, or time or whatever, but uh, want to think about that. Certainly having uh, our not-for-profits involved in that discussion will be extremely helpful because they're probably most in tune with that. Okay. Sure. Yeah, this, Shannon. This is Shannon Reed. Can I piggyback off of that? Yeah. A little bit in response. <clears throat> um, Shannon Reed, Douglas County Commissioner. I, um, sorry, we moved along a little bit fast, but since you brought up Ron's comments again, I just wanted to add to that that um, when looking at HSC's application in particular, um, I think it is a little, it's creative and it's outside the box. It's not construction. It's not building new brick and mortar homes. Um, but I, there are a lot of, I think a lot of the applications we have and things that Ahab has historically funded have been about supporting people and staying in their homes, um, both homeowners and renters, and that that has been across the board. And so, you know, housing authority vouchers are supporting renters that might eventually become homeowners um, with that support through that process. Independence Inc. Um, and Habitat projects are helping people stay in their homes. And I, HSC is a um, sort of a new iteration of that. And I think that to the point of like private developers and property owners in this community, they are doing um, 
in their less than two years of existence, quite a bit of um, heavy lifting and work around making connections with property owners and um, people who are who are business owners in this community um, it, that are renting to 60% of, of the community that is renters and not homeowners. And so affordable housing um, is a spectrum of issues. And I think that um, that there's a lot of collaboration involved and required and that there's a lot of opportunity for more private development and contractor engagement through by modeling, I think, and, and kind of following the lead of some of um, the work that HSC has been doing in their landlord initiatives. Um, and that ultimately the, the dollars they're asking for is about pe keeping people in homes and stabilized and and that comes with budget supports and whatnot that can help them save money that turns into becoming a homeowner. So I just want to to illustrate that the way that I'm thinking of it because um, it is perhaps a new type of application, um, but it's a creative approach. And it does, um, I do think we have a responsibility as, on this board to appreciate that the housing crisis exists and that is a part of creating we need to create new affordable housing and we need to keep as many people housed as we can in, in a variety of ways to address that. Uh, thank you, Shannon. That's a good insight on that application. Okay, uh, we're still in new business. Any, anything else anybody wants to bring up for new business? Okay, seeing none, I'm gonna move on to the calendar and then we'll adjourn. So on December 13th, uh, our recommendations, uh, we'll, we'll have that, rec that meeting and recommendation uh, decision time. And uh, I think we all know what we have to do between now and then. And then uh, in January, uh, we'll be electing a new chair. So, That'll be exciting, at least for me. And um, and then in February, we have a retreat. So um, anything to add to that? All right, seeing none, we're gonna move to adjournment. I would uh, thank you for your work today. I think we got a lot accomplished. We had some great discussion and uh, I would accept a motion to adjourn. Sarah Waters, motion to adjourn. Okay, thank you, Sarah. We have a second to that. Edith Guppy, second. Edith, seconding. Is there any discussion about our adjournment? Okay, seeing none, I'm going to take the roll. Thomas Howe. Thomas must have had the lead. Shannon Reed. Yes. Uh, Sarah Waters. Yes. Christina Gentry. Yes. Thomas Allen. Yes. Ron Gacious. Yes. Edith Guppy. Yes. Monty Sokup. Yes. Uh, that is seven zero. I we are adjourned. And again, thank you for hanging in there today. I know it was a long meeting.